This is the week. This is the week I get the podcast on the schedule I want. It will probably only last one week before I stumble over myself again. But hey, if I get that one week, it'll be one of life's small victories. Thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. You can currently find my work at iancastleberry.com and through Twitter at iancast. That's I-A-N-C-A-S-S. Hopefully you had a good weekend and your week's off to a good start. I consider it a good football weekend when both Michigan and the Detroit Lions win ballgames, and I didn't quite get that. But... Even though the Lions lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, it was a 34-30 score, which is surely closer than most fans and observers were guessing. I believe the Chiefs were favored by 6.5 points, unless I don't know the proper place to look. That's entirely possible because the last thing I need is to become a gambler and start betting on football. Also, I was a good son and took my mother to see Judy, starring Renee Zellweger. I'm not sure that's a movie I would have made an effort to see on my own, though it was certainly on my radar with Zellweger's performance likely to generate some awards buzz. Plus, we're getting into the season where there will probably be something worth seeing every weekend, so I would have been happy with a one-week break. Although there will be that weird period around Christmas when we don't get many Oscar contenders until after the new year, which is always fucking annoying. Yeah, I'm glad I saw Judy, so I can at least have an informed opinion on it. So I guess that's pretty much a rundown of today's podcast. We'll have my baseball segment from Y Sports Radio on Monday, and I also appeared on TSN 1260 in Edmonton for a preview of the MLB postseason. I'm always grateful to Dave Jameson and especially his producer, Matthew Iwanek, for having me on at big points on the baseball calendar, like the All-Star break, trade deadline, and beginning of the postseason. This is also a week when I'll have two baseball segments on Wise Sports Radio, so that and my NFL spot will be on Friday's podcast. The Wise Guys show takes every other Wednesday off, so host Pat Ryan can get medical treatment. I don't think he'd mind me saying that. He's been quite public about his battle with cancer, and it's affected his ability to be on the air over the past year. I'll link to an article about Pat in the show notes on thepodcast.com. Before getting to football, I have to scratch my pop culture itch, since the pop culture podcast I used to do collapsed under the weight of its incompetence. Sorry, some of that nerdy stuff will be coming over here now. (gasps) I'm a nerd. (gasps) So am I. Spider-Man is back. With Marvel Studios, that is. After Marvel and Sony announced their sharing of Spider-Man's movie rights was ending, thus ending the web-slinger's relationship with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and disappointing legions of fans, the two sides made up about a month later. With such a relatively short split, the uproar over Sony taking back Spider-Man from Marvel and moving on without the help of the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D., Feels like it was much ado about nothing. Of course, the geek internet overreacted. Hell, I joined in on that, tweeting that Sony was making a phenomenally dumb, greedy decision. Why mess with something that was so clearly working wonderfully for both sides? But Sony and Marvel were obviously negotiating in public and wanted a little bit of give from each side. If rumblings are true, I think it's realistic for Sony to have been concerned that Marvel movie mastermind, producer Kevin Feige, was working on too many other films to give proper attention to Spider-Man. 
Plus, he's eventually going to be producing a Star Wars movie, which has to be the geek movie version of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. You got your peanut butter in my chocolate. You got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Two great tastes taste great together. A 50-50 split of profits was never going to happen. But Disney will now get 25% of the mounds of cash from the next Spider-Man movie, up from the 5% received from Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. And Marvel can put Spidey in another one of its movies, which will probably be whatever version of the Avengers we get after Endgame. Sony gets to use Spider-Man in the ridiculous number of Spidey spin-offs they have in development, such as the sequel to Venom and the upcoming Morbius, which is a vampire movie. I think there are at least three other films in the works. Who knows if those ever get made? As Sony tries to create a Spider-Man cinematic universe, which, if I recall correctly, is what got them in trouble with the property in the first place. Sony wanted to spin off a bunch of other Spider-Man related movies rather than just concentrate on making a good Spider-Man movie. No other studio has really been good at doing that, you know, except Marvel. And okay, Warner Brothers with the Conjuring universe. Fans now associate Spider-Man with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So future films that act like his relationships with those other characters don't exist would have been strange. That's not a Doctor Strange pun. Yeah, I'm on the side of Spidey fans who wishes that Peter Parker wasn't so linked to Tony Stark and Iron Man. It doesn't quite feel true to the character, though Peter Parker still gets to be a science nerd. And the Stark connection is a convenient creative shortcut to how he has the resources to certain technology. And the S.H.I.E.L.D. connection has roots with the Ultimate Spider-Man version of the comic book and animated series. So who's to say it's not faithful to some source material? But those ties take a bit away from the down-on-his-luck quality that Peter Parker has had at his best. Which is why the high school setting and romantic storylines established in the Marvel movies are so important and why at least one upcoming story element from Far From Home, which I won't spoil since the movie was just released on digital video and comes out on Blu-ray and DVD this week, even though it was in theaters three months ago, promises to make a significant impact. That should make all of our Peters tingle. Ultimately, however, Marvel gets Spider-Man, understands its own creative property, in a way Sony hasn't since the first two Sam Raimi movies. Why risk getting it wrong the next time out and hitting a pothole when the ride can continue to be smooth? Again, this was probably always going to happen and a few numbers just had to be worked out, so the fan anxiety and outrage was probably overblown. Marvel movies are one of the things going right in the world these days. They're even better with Spider-Man in them. And now we'll be getting more. to something that may be as much of a fantasy as a kid gaining superpowers after being bitten by a radioactive spider, the Detroit Lions might actually be a good NFL team. Yes, really. Enzo, touchdown Detroit Lions! The Lions have certainly looked like a good team and possible playoff contender after their first four games of the season. Regardless of whether or not the Lions were going to improve on the talent and coaching sides of football, their schedule 
with the Chargers, Eagles, who won the Super Bowl two seasons ago, and Chiefs, viewed as a Super Bowl favorite this year, among their first four games, was rough. Beginning the season with a 1-3 record seemed very likely. Yet look where the Lions are going into their bye week. Two wins, one loss, and one tie. Yes, that season-opening tie against the Arizona Cardinals was hugely disappointing and frustrating. Typical of making inferior competition suddenly look superior, and the pain Lions fans have lived with for decades. But then they followed up by beating the Los Angeles Chargers at home. And if you thought that was lucky or the Lions frustratingly playing up to the level of their competition with Chargers quarterback Phillip Rivers not playing a great game, the Lions silenced those doubts by winning on the road at the Philadelphia Eagles. No, the Eagles didn't play well and were missing their two best receivers. But at what point do we start thinking that those teams weren't at their best because of the Lions? But reality was coming with the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe the best team in the NFL, a formidable challenger to the New England Patriots, and certainly with the best player in the NFL, reigning most valuable player, quarterback Patrick Mahomes. This was probably going to be a blowout, right? Yeah, about that. The Lions went toe-to-toe, back and forth with the Chiefs. Playing at home surely gave them a boost, but even without their best defensive player, Darius Slay, the Lions' defense played the Chiefs tough. Coach Matt Patricia, whose pedigree was as a defensive coach with the Patriots, and his staff came up with a scheme that held Kansas City in check. Yes, Mahomes still passed for over 300 yards, but he didn't throw a touchdown pass for the first time in his brief but dazzling NFL career. Meanwhile, Matthew Stafford was excellent for the Lions, throwing three touchdown passes, including what was almost the game winner to Kenny Galladay, who's become my favorite Lions player. I love that guy. Stafford blitz coming, floats one for the end zone. Galladay is the end! Touchdown! Running back Kerryon Johnson rushed for 125 yards, fulfilling his promise and giving Detroit the running threat it's lacked for so many years. Unfortunately, Johnson had a goal line fumble that was picked up and returned for a Chiefs touchdown, And that was arguably the turning point of the game. Though arguably not, since the Lions did come back to take the lead. Whether or not Johnson was down, or Chiefs defensive back Bashad Breeland was down before he picked up the ball, are points of controversy. But TV replays appear to confirm that neither player was down, and the referees called those plays correctly. Ultimately, the Chiefs and Mahomes had the ball last, and that was the difference in the game. Sure, it would have been better if the Lions' defense had stopped them, but NFL quarterbacks become great, become legends with game-winning touchdown drives. If Mahomes belongs in that group, which looks like a certainty, then the cap must be tipped to his greatness. It's sure as hell not the first time a great QB beat the Lions, but Detroit put Kansas City in a position where they had to win the game at the end, which is better than most anyone expected. These guys are playing tough, and Sunday's game was their best performance of the season. Maybe, just maybe, these Lions are good. And games remaining against the Bears, Vikings, and Cowboys on the other 12 games of their schedule don't look as fearsome as they used to.
I'd like to talk some Michigan football too, but I think it's better to save that for next week after Saturday's game versus Iowa, or as I call it, the Ian Divided Bowl. Yes, I went to Iowa, but you'd never know that because of how I root for Michigan. Hey, I grew up in Ann Arbor and spent three quarters of my life there. The Wolverines crushed Rutgers as expected, 52 to nothing, putting up the kind of dominating performance fans have been waiting for. Yet some will say there's nothing to be impressed by because Michigan is supposed to do that. Okay, so if it was a close game, you'd complain about that too. There's no satisfying some fans. Michigan's not entitled to win every game by 40 points. Yeah, I wish they would too. I wish they'd look as imposing as Ohio State, Alabama, or Oklahoma right now. Michigan's not there yet. Maybe they won't even get close. But the season is a progression. Anyway, I don't know if there's much to say about the Rutgers game other than quarterback Shea Patterson finally looked smooth and composed, and Rutgers fired its coach, Chris Ash, the next day, which is kind of a shame. But hey, that was the Michigan we've hoped to see all season. Hopefully it's the first step toward better things. I don't have a home. I can't even get a manager. London would offer you a lot of money. Talk of the town is desperate to do a deal with you. You're saying I have to leave my children if I want to make enough money to be with my children? I would very much like to stay. From football to Judy Garland. That's a natural transition, right? Hey, that's how it worked out for me this weekend. Judy does what most good biopics do, focusing on a particular period of the subject's life rather than try to fit an entire life and career into a two-hour story. There are flashbacks that show what she endured as a young girl, trying to please those who wanted to make her a star at the cost of any sort of normal childhood. Those sequences presume that you know about Garland and her career, which doesn't seem particularly unreasonable if you're seeing this movie. If you know Judy Garland was in The Wizard of Oz, that's probably all you need to get by here. The movie follows Garland at what turned out to be the end of her life, the events leading up to her five-week run of shows in London, where she was still considered a star and played to sold-out houses. In Hollywood, her career was virtually over. She was broke and homeless, unable to provide for her two young children. A childhood of stage mothers and predatory producers, feeding her diet pills and not letting her eat to keep her weight down, carried over into an adulthood during which she was addicted to drugs and starved herself to stay thin. Poor judgment and decisions led her to five marriages, the last of which occurred during her stay in London to a musician and supposed entrepreneur who saw Garland as a ticket to wealth and fame. Somewhere over the rainbow Way up high There's a land that I've heard of Once in a lullaby But Garland always had that talent, that voice, which drew people to her and made them love her. Zellweger portrays that star power on stage, grabbing your attention by impressively belting out songs like Come Rain or Come Shine, The Trolley Song, and Over the Rainbow. Yes, she really sings here. No lip syncing. Take that, Rami Malek. These are easily the best parts of the movie, the reason you'd want to see this. 
Offstage, Zellweger loses herself in the mannerisms of Garland, seemingly becoming her without doing an impersonation or becoming a caricature. She seems to physically shrink when she's not performing, and the weight of her pain and failures seem unyielding. Whatever's plaguing her, she just can't beat it. Judy isn't a great movie, and it suffers when it has to be a melodramatic biopic, especially in scenes with Finn Whitrock, who plays Garland's fifth and final husband, Mickey Deans. By the way, I'm eventually going to become an old man. Well, I'm already an old man, but when I exceed middle age, an old man who just yells out names in the theaters when I finally recognize someone whose name I couldn't remember. I almost did that while watching Judy. Finn Whitrock! Rufus Sewell! Yeah, it's gonna happen. But Zellweger is great, and to me her performance felt even more welcome, taking into consideration that this is something of a comeback role for her after a decade out of the harsh, plastic surgery speculating spotlight. Yeah, it's goofy at times, but Zellweger isn't afraid to go there. And if you didn't know much about Judy Garland before seeing this movie, you'll probably be intrigued about what was a pretty sad life and want to learn more afterwards. For me, Judy is a two and a half star movie. For those who love Judy Garland or don't mind the standard nature of this biopic, it's probably worth at least three out of five stars. Okay, let's close out with my radio segments. First is my spot from TSN 1260 in Edmonton. I wasn't sure if we would talk about the managerial firings and retirements in baseball or the upcoming postseason, which begins with the National League wildcard playoff between the Milwaukee Brewers and Washington Nationals on Tuesday. Fortunately, I was prepared for both. At least I think I was. With us now, Ian Castlebury, WISE Sports Radio, covering Major League Baseball. Uh, Ian, thank you for your time today. Let's start with the National League wild card game. You've got the Brewers and the Nationals. This one in Washington. Max Scherzer gets the call for Washington. Man, for as many good teams as the Nationals have had in this decade, they're going to the playoffs for the fifth time. They just can't crack that winning a series, can they? No, they've been one of the most disappointing teams over the past Oh, gosh, let's say five to six years, maybe going back eight years, uh, considering uh, the expectations. Um, I, I don't think it's a tremendous surprise that uh, the Nationals still made the postseason uh, without Bryce Harper. You know, they had Juan Soto uh, ready to, to take that spot. They have outstanding uh, starting pitching. So even though the Phillies uh, were a heavy favorite uh, in the NL East along with the Braves, uh, this year, I, I don't think uh, uh, it, it's a big surprise, and they're they're lined up nicely for this wild card game. They're going to start Max Scherzer, but you know they could have had Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. Uh, both of those uh, pitchers presumably will be available uh, in the bullpen, uh, which is a really good uh, position for the Nationals to be in. The Brewers, uh, the fact that they're even in this position without Christian Yelich speaks to, A, a terrific managerial job, but also, you know, maybe the depth through this lineup. And they've still got some guys banged up here. I mean, they're going to get Braun back. 
Um, but Lorenzo Kane was out for Sunday's regular season finale. Yeah, um, I feel like it's not giving the Brewers enough credit, but you know, did the Brewers really win this spot, or did the Cubs uh, yeah. kind of lose it, falling apart uh, at the end? You know, uh, the Brewers they lost uh, their final three games uh, at Colorado, but you're right, they've played extremely impressively uh, after uh, losing Christian Yelich. Uh, they've had other guys uh, uh, step up. They've had some uh, starting pitching really come through. Jordan Lyles. I don't think anybody expected that to be a, as beneficial a trade for the Brewers as it turned out. But uh, getting Brandon Woodruff, their all-star pitcher, back uh, in time for this wild-star card game, uh, this is also a situation where uh, the Brewers, uh, their pitching staff kind of lines up nicely uh, for uh, a one-game playoff. you know, you got to get through this one-game playoff, and then you worry about how your rotation uh, lines up for a possible divisional series. The A's and the uh, Tampa Rays are two teams. They have small budgets. They don't have very large fan bases, but they, they have found a way, again, in the A's case, to be in the postseason. Tampa had a 90-win season last year but just missed out. Um, is there much to separate these two? I think uh, ultimately the the pitching. Um, Tampa Bay, uh, I, I really like the fact that they have uh, Charlie Morton going in. In this game, uh, we don't know who uh, Oakland is going to start as of yet. Uh, it's probably going to be uh, Sean uh, Mania. It could be Mike Fears, who, who was uh, their best starting pitcher uh, during the regular season. But this Tampa Bay team, I, I just and I suppose this uh, applies to Oakland as well. You, you know, the, both of these teams are, are perennially uh, overlooked and uh, uh, overperform uh, versus their expectations. Uh, the game is at Oakland. Uh, but I like the way Tampa Bay, especially I, I, I give them the nod with starting Charlie Morton uh, in the wild card game. Ian Castlebury joining us here on TSN 1260 from WISE Sports Radio. Uh, whoever does advance from that Tampa-Oakland game, they've got to play Houston, and that's no easy task uh, because they can just keep rolling aces at you, and they've also got a way to hurt you pretty much up, you know, up and down that lineup. Houston looks uh, unstoppable, uh, and they made... You know, the, the the shocking deal of the trade deadline, uh, getting Zach Greinke, uh, adding him uh, to, to a rotation that already had Justin Verlander uh, and Garrett Cole. So th- that top three uh, in any playoff series is just extremely formidable. Uh, they have a, a fearsome lineup. Uh, their bullpen uh, has come together nicely. Uh, you're right. Uh, whoever wins that AL wildcard game is likely just going to be uh, a fodder uh, in uh, the buzzsaw that is the Houston Astros. Yankees and Twins, uh, the Yankees, it always feels, uh, rightly or not, that they should be in this position, but they're taking on a Twins team this year that hit a lot of baseballs out of stadiums. Extremely impressive. Uh, all the home runs uh, that the Twins hit. Uh, Rocco Baldelli, you know, an unproven commodity uh, as a manager. Uh, the Twins, they win uh, the AL Central over the Indians. They, they win... Uh, a uh, hundred games, but that Yankees team, that, that pitching staff especially, uh, I know that their starting pitching hasn't been as strong as uh, fans and the team would have wanted. But that bullpen is postseason ready, uh, and you know, in the postseason, we see if, if a pitcher, starting pitcher, can go five innings, uh, that, that's a win. And, and to give a game over to this bullpen that, that's so deep, you know, they have four or five guys that could be closers on any other team. Uh, it's difficult to imagine. As impressive as the Twins have been, I don't know how much postseason experience matters, but I think you do have to give them the nod to the Yankees for that. But ultimately, I think their bullpen 
will be the big difference against the Twins. Uh, St. Louis back in the postseason for the first time in the last three years. They've missed, so they're back in, but they needed to go right down to the final day. Atlanta, they were home and dry a little bit earlier. Um, this is sort of baseball royalty in St. Louis against an Atlanta team that they've been on the outside looking in for a number of years, but they're starting to hit now. And when you've got Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman, I mean, they're, they're, this is a good, really good young team. Very good young team. And the Braves, they just needed to get healthy, I think, uh, in September, you know, to get players like uh, Nick Marcakis, uh, Ender Inciarte back. Uh, they, they did a good job in bolstering their bullpen. I, I know it hasn't performed as well as Braves fans might like, but I think uh, Alex Anthopoulos, uh, the general manager, former Blue Jays general manager, did a good job in not just getting one pitcher, but getting three guys, uh, Shane Green, Chris Martin, and another arm, to make sure that just one guy wasn't the difference in that bullpen. Their lineup, I think, is very strong. Uh, their starting rotation uh, should be good. The Cardinals were a huge surprise, you know, for them to make the postseason and for Paul Goldschmidt, for instance, to not have an MVP caliber season. He had a solid season. But you look at that Cardinals lineup, that Cardinals rotation, and you kind of wonder how – this team made the postseason, but it's a case where they may not have any great player this season, but they're sort of maybe like those Yankees teams of the late 90s where they don't have a great player, but they just have a lot of good players uh, up and down that lineup uh, and throughout the pitching staff. Ian, appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much, Dave. All right, Ian Castlebury there, WISE Sports Radio. Yeah, maybe I was better prepped for the manager stuff. It always bugs me when I suddenly can't remember someone's name while on the air. Like I couldn't with Atlanta Braves reliever Mark Melanson. And he literally has the more memorable name than the other two pitchers I mentioned. <sighs> Damn it. Ah, well. And then Pat Ryan and I got into the big baseball news of the day. The Chicago Cubs and manager Joe Madden deciding to end their partnership after four years which was an inevitable outcome. The Pittsburgh Pirates firing manager Clint Hurdle and Brad Osmus getting canned by the Los Angeles Angels were also part of the discussion. All right, uh, Ian Castleberry joining us right now, the wise guys. And, uh, of course, it's our uh, baseball update presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. But, uh, Ian, it's great to have you in. And, man, we've got lots to get to, my man. Uh, let's start first with managerial firings and, and really to the point where maybe when we get you Wednesday we can start talking postseason and give you some postseason questions at that point but man uh there's some action in the managerial world uh let's start first because this just came down you know I was texting you uh some questions earlier in the in the day and one of them was you know Brad Ottsmith the Angels manager rumored to be on the hot seat that's no longer a rumor Ian he's gone uh out of Cali and uh it looks like maybe another uh, manager who was just um, parted from his team could be a potential replacement. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks, Pat. Uh, yeah, the Brad Osmus, there were some rumblings uh, last night that the uh, Los Angeles Angels were considering firing Brad Osmus after just one season. I suspect, and we, as you alluded to, we're going to talk about this other managerial move that was done. I suspect the Angels fired Brad Osmus because Joe Madden is now available. I was just going to go. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of curious, was it not? Well, it's just uh, after one season, I mean, unless 
the Angels and general manager Billy Epler just thought Osmus was abysmal. You know, they won 72 games for fourth in the AL West, uh, tried to work in a lot more uh, analytics in their approach. But, you know, if Joe Madden wasn't available, would the Angels have made this move? I have my doubts. Uh, of course, you know, there are a huge number of, of big-name managers that are available. We'll see if, if any of them uh, get these openings. But, you know, there is, you know, Joe Girardi, uh, Buck Showalter, and Matt, Joe Madden. You know, I don't know if uh, if uh, one of the other managers who was like, oh, uh, Clint Hurdle will be up for any of these jobs. I know Eric Chavez, uh, who's a special assistant with the team, uh, the former Oakland Athletics third baseman. He's highly regarded uh, as well as a potential manager. But uh, I, Brad Osmus was kind of a meh uninspiring, mediocre mm. hire to begin with. You know, he was pretty disappointing as manager of the Detroit Tigers. I don't think that was a very inspiring move to begin with. But Joe Madden, you know, he, he was Mike Sosha's bench coach uh, from 2000 uh, to, through 2005. But overall, he's had 31 years in the Angels organization. He was drafted by them as a player. He worked in their organization for decades. So, you know, the Angels could really sell this as Joe Madden coming home oh my goodness and of course madden uh out with the cubs that seemed to be more of a mutual decision ian i think so uh you could uh i think you could speculate that joe madden was on notice when the cubs decided that they weren't going to give him a a contract extension going into the season uh making him a lame duck but i think this was a mutual decision I, i think time had just past you know it's been four seasons the Cubs were getting worse uh Madden didn't seem to be getting through to the players the way he once did I think Theo Epstein wants a different approach uh in that clubhouse uh Theo Epstein needs to do a better job himself as a general manager in terms of getting some uh more hitters that that can get on base and, and giving uh the next manager a good bullpen but i think after four seasons it was just time the, the days of a guy holding a job for for 10 seasons and you could you know you would think joe Madden could have that job for life after winning the world series but this is still a young team that still has the potential to win some championships and it just seems to have gotten stale there um, now, looking at potential replacements, I know David Ross is one. I want to get your thoughts on that. Former Cub player, very popular with the fans and the players. Uh, let's start with David Ross in terms of um, who could replace Joe Madden. Yeah, David Ross, uh, I, you know, I wonder if, if that's a move. You, is he too close to some of the players, or is that a situation? You know, he used to be teammates with uh, many of these guys. Uh, or is that a situation where the, the, the players like Chris Bryant, uh, Anthony Rizzo, et cetera, will play harder for him? Ross uh, w- would be a better communicator, maybe would have a better idea of, of what Theo Epstein wants to do and not kind of uh, go his own way uh, as Joe Madden might. Uh, other names I've heard, Mark Loretta, who is uh, the Cubs' current bench coach. But if he's already part of the coaching staff, you wonder if, Theo Epstein might want to make a, a, a bigger change there. Kevin Euclid, uh former uh, Boston Red Sox third baseman, uh, played for Theo Epstein. Uh, he's a special assistant with the Cubs now. That might be a name uh, to consider. And a name I've heard, and I've heard for a few years that he's been uh, 
uh, under interest for a lot of managerial openings is uh, Mark DeRosa, who's a MLB uh, network analyst right now, uh, former utility player. But I think a lot of uh, major league executives regard him highly as a potential manager. Oh, wow, interesting there. Um, as uh, Ian Castleberry joining the Wise Guys, uh, Major League Baseball update presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. All right, Ian, uh, Clint Hurdle. Well, he's now out as a manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that underperformed this season. He's a well-respected guy as well. So what happened there, Ian? Just not enough wins and uh, no playoff appearance? That is part of it. This isn't something we've had a chance to talk about, but I think this is something that's been building for at least a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, uh, in that Clint Hurdle, I think, has really had really lost control of that Pirates clubhouse. Uh, you had players uh, fighting with each other, uh, Keon Kayla, Kyle Crick, Felipe Vasquez, all uh, spatting with one another. Crick and Vasquez even got into a fight. Of course, uh, Felipe Vasquez has uh, uh, entirely other issues to deal with now uh, off the field. But uh, Kayla, uh, a reliever, also had a altercation with a performance coach and then uh, had it out with Clint Hurdle. So you wonder if he sort of lost clubhouse, lost the respect of some of the players. Part of that is that, you know, the, the, the players who would normally police the clubhouse and help Clint Hurdle, a lot of those guys are gone. Andrew McCutcheon had left a few years ago, uh, Francisco Cervelli, uh, Jamison Talon. They were injured this season and couldn't really uh, help Hurdle in that regard. But even going back to, you know, nine seasons that uh, Clint Hurdle has been the Pirates manager, he had guys like A.J. Burnett, Jordy Mercer, Josh Harrison, Tony Watson, guys who were kind of clubhouse police. And most of those guys, if not all of them, are gone now. Boy, uh, all right, so, you know, is that an appealing job? I guess any MLB managerial job is appealing. Uh, but um, who, who, uh, who's up for um, consideration for this gig, Ian? I doubt whether it is an appealing job. Uh, the general manager, Neil Huntington, uh, is, is staying. He's not losing his job, but he's done a pretty poor job in recent years of developing talent. Uh, you know, they don't have any hot young players, stars that they've developed uh, in recent seasons. I mean, they, they have had guys like uh, Starling Marte come up and, and be stars. But, you know, the Chris Archer trade w- was really bad. They gave up two uh, future stars for now for the Rays and Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows. The Garrett Cole trade was bad. The four players they got from the Astros haven't developed uh, into major leaguers of any impact. Uh, the first name I would circle is uh, that could replace Clint Hurdle is Jeff Bannister. Uh, he was the former uh, Texas Rangers manager. He was Hurdle's bench coach uh, from 2011 through 2014. Uh, he's an analytics-driven type manager. I think he really got Hurdle to buy into that approach. Maybe a good fit there with uh, Neil Huntington, the general manager. Um, Omar Vizquel is another name people might recognize. Uh, he's a manager in the White Sox minor league system. Uh, right now, or we might get somebody who fans don't really know throughout baseball, uh, like uh, John Wayner is the Pirates radio TV analyst. Uh, I, I think it's going to be uh, other than if it's Jeff Bannister or Omar Vizquel. I think uh, the name, uh, the next Pirates manager might be a guy that a lot of baseball fans look at and say, huh? Yeah, that's that's where I was going to go. I mean, that's not a name that kind of moves the needle there, Ian. I mean, is it to that point where it's like recycled managers in this league? I think so. I mean, unless the, you know they, they go with uh, you know the, the young hot you know former player 
uh, who, who now uh, comes into uh, being a manager, you know, uh, Alex Cora, uh, Rocco Baldelli, Aaron Boone, that type. I don't know if the Pirates really have uh, that kind of guy on their radar or, or in their system. Uh, I guess you would point to Jeff Bannister and say he has former Major League managerial experience with the Rangers. But, you know, I don't think Buck Showalter is going to take this job. I don't think Mike Sosha is going to take this job. Joe Girardi, Ron Washington. There's some big names out there, but I don't know if they would be interested uh, in this Pittsburgh Pirates team. Yeah, Girardi's just sitting out there, uh, most likely waiting uh, for the the best opportunity for him uh, to come up and uh, see where that goes. My goodness, it just this is the time of year, man. And we always talk about the NFL. The day after the season is Black Monday. Uh, it was more like Black Sunday uh, for for a lot of those guys. There, it's just it's just the way it works these days. Is Ian Kalsenberg yeah. joining the Wise Guys presented uh, by our friends at? Um, Vistanet Telecommunications, excuse me. All right, let's um, let's let's look at, at, at you know with with Brad Osmus. I mean, all right. So I would love the I would love the possibility. I know Osmus is out, and, and hopefully he's got other opportunities down the road. And I want to ask you quickly before your thoughts on how Madden would fit with the Angels. I mean, is it fair for Brad Osmus whether it was Joe Madden suddenly becoming available or not that the Angels? I mean, that they didn't really give him near the time I think he needed to develop this team and get comfortable in that role? No, I don't think one year is fair to evaluate any uh, coach or manager. You know, what do you really know? Uh, again, unless there was just a serious uh, disagreement between Osmus and, and Billy Epler, uh, it, it's a curious move. Uh, again, I think it's because Joe Madden's available, and not only is Joe Madden available, but there are a lot of jobs open right now, and the competition for Job Madden is going to be fierce. Uh, you know, there are six major league jobs open right now. There could be another four. You know, if the Mets make a change, the Mariners, uh, maybe the Rockies. What if the Phillies decide to move on from Gabe Kapler? You could have 10 jobs here uh, that are open. So I think if, if you're the Angels and you really want Joe Madden, you got to jump on this. If I were Joe Madden, however, I think the San Diego Padres is the job to take. Uh, you know, you have a, a young talent, a, a deep minor league system, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, likely National League Rookie of the Year, showing he's a big star. Uh, the Padres showed, uh, you know, that they're uh, willing to make a big commitment into free agency by giving a ridiculous contract uh, to Manny Machado. Uh, they have a, a good young pitching staff. Yeah. Still in Southern California, you know, which is uh, Joe Madden's home. Uh, I think Madden should take the Padres job, but uh, the Angels might be uh, too uh, too tempting to turn down. Keep an eye on that. we got to run. Great stuff, Ian. Hey, bud, have a great rest of the day. We'll talk more baseball on Wednesday. Okay, you got it. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you. And that's the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'd love to. I need to hear from you at thepodcast at gmail.com or our Facebook page. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you can find us at The Podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-S. Let us know what you think, good or bad. It's much appreciated. Back with another episode to close out the week. We'll probably get into some of the new fall TV along with my radio stuff. Until then, please don't overdose on sleeping pills like Judy Garland. That's not asking too much, right? Take care and be good. (laughs) 